Today we're uh, reading 1 John 5 verses, what do we got here? I can't read my own writing. 1821, thank you. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. This is God's word. All glory, honor, and praise be to God. Thank you, Jeff, for reading what we are studying this morning. So as we, uh, as we close this epistle of 1 John in these final verses, we receive three specific reasons to be encouraged as believers. And we looked at that even this morning um, at 8.30 with a, with a group of, of men. We looked together at these passages and asked lots of questions that can feel like a straight through read, but when you slow down, there's lots of very interesting questions, lots of interesting threads to pull on. Um, like I said, we'll really center in on these three items of encouragement, and those are that, number one, we know that we're free from sin's bondage. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're free from sin's bondage. Number two, we know that we're God's own elect. We know we're God's elect. And number three, we know that our salvation is founded on Christ himself. Our salvation is on Christ himself. And that's the ultimate. That's penultimate. Knowing that my salvation is founded on Christ and not founded on me is the most encouraging news that I could possibly receive. Um, if my foundation was was reliant upon myself, my own effort, my own merit, my own goodness, I'd be woefully inadequate for the job. And so it's encouraging to know that our salvation is founded on Christ. And if we remember we said that likely John is writing to a church that's been infiltrated um, by these Gnostic people, these, these people that said that there was some hidden knowledge and you had to work your way through man-centered philosophies to find that hidden knowledge. And so John is protecting this flock by writing this epistle and by giving them these three encouragements. They're free from the bondage of sin. They're, they're of God's own elect. And our salvation is founded on Christ himself. They were being hard pressed by the world around them. I mean, this is the fledgling church that this is being written to. There's not a, a long history of orthodox belief there's no Robert's rules of order. I don't even know how they held business meetings without Robert and his helpful rules. 
Even former believers from within their own number were pushing against them, trying to press their understanding of God, trying to press their understanding of worship to things that maybe are found even outside Scripture. In the book of Colossians in chapter 2, specifically in verses 6 through 8, we see some warning against this very kind of thing. This is not an uncommon occurrence. This happened to be occurring to the people that John is writing to. It happened to be occurring to the church at Colossae. We read, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ, because Christ is the founder of our salvation. If someone was to come to us and tell us something that sounds interesting, maybe that impacts our faith in some way, we could say, well, that's great. Now show me in Scripture. That's all we need for life, for godliness, for reproof, for doctrine, for training and righteousness is the word. We're not left void without the word. There's nothing that someone could bring to us, no new idea, no new thought that someone could bring to us about following after God as an obedient follower that wouldn't be satisfied by the living, breathing word of God. That should be our appetite is to know it from the word. And so 1 John 5, 18, we'll go one verse at a time. Verse 18 says, we know that everyone who has been born of God, does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. We spent some time this morning as we kind of broke that out and parsed that out and said there's lots of he's and him's and how do you follow that thread through to know when he is God and him is Jesus and vice versa. John is talking about this person we know that everyone, this group, everyone, are these people that have been transformed. They've already been transformed. They've been redeemed in Christ. Everyone who has been born of God. And this is the first encouragement of the three that John will lay out for us. We're free from sin's bondage. What this does not tell us is we're free from sinning. It just doesn't say that. And Oftentimes, if you've been in various Bible studies or, or listened to teachers and pastors and kind of we, we accidentally get this baggage where people are sometimes giving a specific apologetic, which can be good. A specific apologetic sounds fancy, right? Apologetic is a reason for the hope and faith that lies within us, right? We're supposed to be able to give an answer like that. And so there are specific apologetics, which means specifically if someone takes this perspective, here is how you defend the faith. And so sometimes we hear all of these defenses and all of these arguments, and when we hear a passage, our mind goes to a specific apologetic. And this can be like that, right? When you read, we know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning. Our mind can go straight to a performance-based salvation. We know that it's not that we don't have any sin whatsoever. Like if you've been saved for more than like .0001 seconds, you're aware that you're not now a sinless creature. Um, if you're married, ask your spouse. They'll let you know. Some of you, you're, you're 
your spouse went to a work event instead of attending service today, so you understand. At least there's one elect in the room. <laughs> it's not, it doesn't say that we're free from sin. It says that those who have been born of God do not keep on sinning. The, the idea is this continual pattern walking in sin where there's no spirit of God that convicts, right? That's the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so for the believer who falls into sin, we'll feel convicted over that sin. We'll turn back to God. We'll, we'll come to God in, in, in prayer and we'll want to become more and more in Christ's image over time. And so it's not saying that those who have been born of God are now sinless creatures that walk through the earth perfectly. It's not saying that. It's saying we'll not continue in these, these patterns, unchecked, continuing in sin. Earlier in, in chapter 5, in chapter 5 and verse 1, John wrote, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Later in 1 John 2, 29, If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And so that's our desire as believers. We desire to practice righteousness, to do righteous things, to be conformed into Christ's image, to see the Spirit of God working in us. 1 John 3, 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. John is very much encouraging that the, the believers, that the people of this fold abide in Christ. They spend time praying. They think about the things of God, not so distracted by the world around us that we forget about God. And that the world, it's so easy to do that. There's so much going on that's vying for our attention, right? I mean, your left hand is probably almost always occupied by a phone. Always pulling information in from somewhere, right? And, and whether it's just a, a constant entertainment, uh, whether you're, you're just rolling through TikTok feeds, whether you're just watching YouTube videos, um, I was just having a conversation with a brother this morning. It's, you know, it used to be so hard to get information, right? Like if you wanted to know about something, you had to go to the library. You had to, you had to pull out this long drawer and it had cards in this little spiral thing that nobody knew what it did on the front of it, but maybe it was just a pull handle. And then you had to use this Dewey Decimal System, which was created by like voodoo librarians to determine what section of the library or the book that you were interested in was. And then you had to like write down the number off that card, go find the shelf in the library where that book was. You had to pull it down. And now you're only starting to get close because maybe the answer is not in this book. It might be in one of the other 20 books. And so now you have to skim read them and take notes and write down what page something was on, right? Whereas I pull out my phone right now, I can be an expert in almost anything. I call it a goog spurt. I can be an expert in anything. I can change the radiator on my minivan. I know because I did it with like a seven-year-old little girl walking me through the steps on the YouTube video. My kids came out in the garage and they're like, Dad, what are you doing? It's like, she's showing me how to change the radiator, all right? Get out of here. Daddy's working. Instant information at our fingertips. 
I mean, you can know about almost anything. If you want to know how to dig a pool in the clay of the jungle floor, there's a video for that. Some of you, like me, can't sleep, and you've seen those videos. The world is constantly filling us with informations and opportunities for information that we can get so caught up in that there's no time to think about God. There's no occasion to think about God. And, and that becomes a life that drifts, a life that's unmoored. Because without thinking about a sovereign creator God who is good and who is love and who sent his son to live in all ways like us, tempted and tried yet without sin, we don't drift towards him, we drift away from him. We drift towards our desires. James talks about that, right? Um, it's not that God causes us to sin, it's that we follow after our own natural desires that we have. And unless we moor ourselves, unless we desire the Spirit of God, unless we abide, unless we're in prayer, we drift away from God. And so as John said in 1 John 3, 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. If you're abiding, if we're waking up in the morning, if we're praying, if we're thinking on him throughout the day, if we're um, you know, reading, reading from the scriptures, if we're praying, if we're thanking God for the many blessings in our life, we don't just continually do sinful, sinful things. We feel convicted. 1 John 3, 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. 1 John 5, 4, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So you can certainly see that John's epistle encourages a fruit-bearing life, a transformed believer who walks in Christ, who walks abidingly with Christ as Lord, and that's key. Christ becomes Lord of our life, not a savior to wink at and then move on from. Christ is now Lord actively every day for every decision. Christ is who we go to first before we make any, before we turn right or before we turn left. We want to find an, our advocate before God. We want to come before our Lord Christ and find the will of God. If you look at the Gospel of John, John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. We see Jesus talking about this transition. We see Jesus talking about this transition from natural life to a, a, a reborn life. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit 
is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So John's giving this perspective of no longer continually walking in pattern sin, not going on sinning, if you are of a born-again people. Jesus said, as we just read, unless somebody is born of the Spirit, they cannot see the kingdom of God. And so John is giving a statement that's an inclusive statement, but by subtraction. He reveals that unless someone is born of the water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is talking about a very kind of disruptive life change, this being born of the water and the spirit. It's a, it's a reconstruction. It's a linkage to God in Christ, as opposed to being linked to a man in this world, Adam. What's of flesh is flesh. What's of the spirit is of spirit. In 1 Corinthians 15.45, we read, Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. And the last Adam became a life-giving spirit, speaking of Christ. So we can be found in Adam, and found in original sin, found in rebellion, found in desiring anything other than God. Or we can be found in Christ which is in the spirit. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, we read, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Continuing forward for a, 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 another perspective, 1 Corinthians 15, 48 and 49 as was the man of the dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And so what John is doing in 1 John 5.18 is making a huge statement. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. So when we're born of God in a second birth, now linked to Christ, not Adam, we're completely different. We're changed from the inside out. We're materially the same, but we're spiritually completely different. Spiritual things, Scripture reveals, are spiritually discerned. Our mind becomes transformed and renewed. And that process continues in our life as we experience life as a Christian, as we read from the living word, as the Spirit of God becomes our teacher and aligns to us and teaches us from the word. And so John is making a huge statement that were born through this second birth, linked now to Christ, not Adam. And we take on the very mannerisms of the family of God by way of adoption in Christ. In Romans 8 and 15, we read, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, 
but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Galatians 4, 3, and 7. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And so these are the threads that John is bringing together, that were transformed, that were renewed, that were now completely different, that we now abide and we now walk following after our Lord Christ. And so for us, even this morning, as we close up this book, as we receive these encouragements, as we partake in communion, we keep this encouragement in the front of our mind. We're no longer slaves to sin. Verse 19. We know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And so in this verse, John is picking up from what he's just revealed in verse 18 when we're uh, reborn, when we're found in Christ, when we're renewed to God, we are split off. We're in the world, but we're no longer of the world. We're here, but different. We're the called out ones. We are now, we are part of the church, Christ's bride that he is gathering for himself. We're part of the kingdom on earth that will be the kingdom in heaven. John is making clear divisions. We who are in God's own kingdom, made up of his adopted elect, are separate from the whole of the world, which lies in the power of the evil one. We're separated from that power because we're found in Christ. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. There is no believer who is overtaken by demons or um, who is um, overcome by demons. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. In 1 John 4.4, John said, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And so in verse 19, we get a second encouragement, knowing that we're God's own elect. If you have an NIV in your hand, it will say, we know that we are the children of God. The children of God. God's people, God's elect, God's children. We are encouraged and comforted knowing that we're found in Christ, redeemed to God. And so, as Christ encouraged us to partake in communion often, we keep these encouragements front of mind. We're God's own, and we're no longer slaves to sin. Verses 20 and 21. And we know 
that the Son of God has come and giving us, given us his understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. In verse 20, the first half of verse 20, if you were to split it in two, we would receive our, our third and closing encouragement from this epistle. And that is that we know that our salvation is founded on Christ himself. As I said earlier, this is a, a great encouragement because if our salvation was secured by our effort, if our salvation was secured by our merit, if our salvation was built up on a pile of works that we climb to get to God, it would be no salvation at all. It would fall short of God's own perfect glory. It would never attain God's holiness. It would never be enough. That's why the perfect Son of God had to come and live in all ways like us and do so without sinning. He was the perfect, spotless Lamb. The plan from the beginning. In 1 John 2.19 we read, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are all are not of us. And so they are encouraged, we are encouraged that our faith is in Christ in the first half. And then the second half of this passage reads, so that they may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God in the eternal life. Jesus provides our communion with God. Jesus becomes our mediator to God. And our mediator is necessary. We don't just, Jesus doesn't just kind of wink away sin. God doesn't just kind of wink away sin. The price was high. Deuteronomy 9, 7 reads, Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. In the book of Romans, chapter 3 and verse 10, we read, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. That's plain and that's clear. None of us is righteous. In our natural state, without Christ, there is no righteousness found within us. Our most righteous act would be a filthy rag before God. There's nothing that we could do that could even appease God. There's no work. There's never been a desire that we would do that. Isaiah 64, 6. We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. And so then Jesus, as our mediator, as the captain of our salvation, as it would say in Hebrews, Jesus makes our way to God even possible. He makes it exist. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, we read, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, and that is the man, Christ 
Jesus. This is why there is no priest. There is no man on earth that we call father. There is no praying to a priest or sitting in a box and telling him about the naughty things you did. We have one single mediator before God, and that is Jesus Christ himself. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 15, we read, Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgression committed under the first covenant. Jesus mediates the new covenant that we have. He's the way that we come before God. And the death that occurred that redeems us from the transgression is Jesus' own death because the wages of sin is death. In Christ there were found, there was no sin in Christ. He gave up his spirit and so his life was given on our behalf. That's the great news of the gospel. That's why John is encouraging him in his third encouragement that our salvation is founded on Christ himself, his perfect righteousness. And so we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his Son, Christ Jesus. He is the true God and the eternal life. This is the clarity that John is giving these people who are perhaps being hounded by Gnostic believers who say there's some other way, there's something that you're missing that have left the number of the church, making clear that they were never of the number of the church, but they clamor to get people to follow them out of the church. And so John gives them this encouragement. We know that the Son of God has come and he has given us understanding for a purpose so that we may know him who is true. So how do we know God? We know him because in Christ we've gained that understanding. Nobody has seen the Father. Jesus is all that we need so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. There's no higher status to attain to. There's no secret knowledge in Christ. What we've already come to know is true in Christ. We are found in God. What more could we possibly want? We're already there. There is no secret knowledge. There is no other order of the star or fourth level mage that should be even passingly interesting to those of us who are found in Christ. Everything else is silliness. Freemasonry is goofy. And so as Christ can, encourages us to take communion often, we keep this encouragement or these encouragements from John close in our mind. We're God's own. We're no longer slaves to sin. And our foundation is found on Christ himself. And so John leaves them with this. Little children... Keep yourselves from idols. And so as he reminded them to keep themselves from idols, let's remember the warning again that we opened with from Colossians as Paul warns them against the gods of nations. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, 
just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one keeps you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And so how do we avoid idol worship? By avoiding the world. By gaining all of our truth, everything that we need for doctrine, for reproof, for training, for righteousness, not from interesting sounding teachers, not by being someone with itchy ears, but as Paul celebrated about the church in Berea, by being people who hear what's true about God and comparing it to the word to see if it's so. To be people who abide in Christ, to be people who are involved in prayer, to be people who want to love the fellow believers of the church and want to be a part of the shared experience of being the called out ones from the world who are still in it, but not of it. This is something that we get to do, not something that we have to do. It's a blessing to know the things that we know. And so John encourages the church as they're surrounded by challenges against their orthodox understanding, maybe with the world clamoring in to redefine truth, to redefine plainly defined terms. Maybe it sounds familiar to us, and so we can be encouraged along with the people that John writes to that we are free from sin's bondage. That in Christ, we can be assured that we're God's own elect. And we can know that our salvation is founded on Christ himself. And more than understanding our salvation founded on Christ as, as his merit and a merit that we could miss, but also his power and a power that's so much stronger than ours, a power that won't fail. If my salvation is founded in Christ, I don't fret that Christ will fail me. I am confident that Christ is powerful, that Christ is greater than my failures, than my abilities. And so this encouragement in view, knowing Jesus himself, the very Son of God, is our mediator to God, we celebrate communion in remembrance of Christ. We take it together celebrating all that Jesus has done for us. And it's a great way to close our study in the book of 1 John. I'm going to pray. We'll close in song. And then, uh, Jim, if you'll lead us in communion, that'd be great. Great God, we do thank you so much for, for your word that doesn't leave us flailing to know how to please you, to find our way to you, God, but it gives us a very clear path through your gospel, through your good news, through your son, your sinless, spotless lamb, your son, Jesus, who was prophesied from Genesis on, from the moments of the fall became revealed to us that while his salvation would come to be provided to us, God, and as a free gift, not a wage. So we thank you for these wonderful truths. We thank you that we get to gather and celebrate and worship you and turn to your word and be instructed by it, God. And we thank you that we get to participate in communion, which is a celebration of our salvation. God, we thank you for all of these wonderful truths and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand and join us in worship.